For those of you who were hoping for Che to come back and do another sermon, maybe in the future, Che, maybe. (laughs) But uh, you get me again. Exodus chapter 13, we'll go through 14, verse 14, so we're going to do a little bit of reading this morning. But the great multitude of Israel, they have left Egypt. They've been freed from slavery, uh, a new lifestyle for them. No more rigorous, hard labor, no more bondage. And they go off into the sunset and live happily ever after upon leaving Egypt. Not really. (laughs) God will now deal with Israel his people, and he will deal with them 40 years out in the desert, out in the wilderness. And he's doing this for now God must bring Egypt out of his people. Culture changes, usually they come very slowly and difficultly. Uh, It usually takes some monumental event or natural disaster, perhaps even a war, to bring about culture changes. People, as a rule, resist change. We kind of like things as they were because we get used to things and we can find our groove or whatever. And things like taxes, income taxes, just when you think you've got it wired and you've got it down pat, how to avoid the excess taxes, they change the rules on you. And there you go. You have to start all over again. But the very wealthy, they hire lawyers that uh, show them ways to avoid paying uh, great amounts of taxes. But currently, uh, there's a move in our country against, what I call against, nonprofit organizations uh, like churches. And they're changing the rules on churches. So I think things are going to change for churches in the near future. Now, I want to be open and transparent, and I believe we should pay our fair share of taxes. I just don't want to pay any more than I have to. (laughs) But, you know, years ago I knew a businessman from Europe And he would send in extra money on April 15th because he loved America and he was afraid that he might have cheated the IRS out of some monies along the way. So he would send in extra money and come to find out it's not that uncommon for people to send in extra money on their income tax. Now, for me, that borders on insanity, but hey, that's just me. But Israel, they're a nation now, they're on the move, and they're led by Moses, and they will live and dwell in their wilderness for the next 40 years. The endless, the eternal camping trip. (laughs) So we will begin... The exodus that is spoken of by the book of Exodus. So far, it's been primarily Moses and God against Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and the Egyptians. But let's pick up in chapter 13, and we'll look at verses 1 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens a womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. It is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by the strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Ammonites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and any other ites you want to put in there, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your sons in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be a sign to you on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may, not, may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you, your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck or kill it. And, on the, and all the firstborn among men, among your sons, you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a sign to you on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And we'll stop there for a moment. God has spared the firstborn of Israel from the plague of death, where the Egyptians suffered death. But now God says, dedicate that firstborn and dedicate it to me. As Christians, we dedicate our children to the Lord, and this is good. Uh, Two things I really enjoy, and one is dedicating babies, and the other is baptisms. I just like that. Maybe that's the pastor side of me. I don't know. But I enjoy doing those. Um, but we're to do this voluntarily. But God requires it of the Hebrews. You must do this. And... Israel is God's people, but God lays out a plan for them, 
And on some of the things he says, you must do this. And this is one of those things where he says, you must do this. Now, I'm going to confess something. I'm told by some of you people that I repeat myself. I said, I'm told by some of you people, I repeat myself. <laughs> I tell the same stories, and you've heard them all by now. I use the same old examples over and over, but they're good examples. But I want you to notice verse 3. Remember when you were brought out of bondage by the strong hand of God. Verse 9. With a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Verse 14, by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Verse 16, same word, strength of hand. God has repeated himself four times to Moses in the first 16 verses of this chapter. So don't get on my case anymore, all right? How has he delivered Israel? By his strength. We have such a tendency as Christians to rationalize God's miracles. And if at all possible, we like to take credit for those miracles sometimes. We look for ways to try and find some natural phenomenon versus simply believing God and then giving him credit for our deliverance or healing. And the end results of that is we can become a people who no longer pray for God to deliver us. We no longer pray for God to do a miracle on our behalf. As a church, as a body of believers, we support Gospel for Asia. It's one of the primary missionary uh, endeavors that we support. Their missionaries are sent, uh, they send back reports to all the different uh, people that support them, and their letters are full of miracles that Jesus has done, miracles of healing and that sort of thing. And in nations where there is not what we call good medical care, we see Christians who will openly pray and ask God to heal them and ask God to show himself strong on their behalf. It's been said of the Muslim uh, people that they will not turn to Christ unless they see some sort of miracle that, that changes their life for the better. K.P. Yohannan, the founder of Gospel for Asia, he instructs his missionaries that are primarily in India to tone down their stories when they write back to their American supporters. And mainly he wants them to tone down their stories because of the skepticism of American Christians or truly our lack of faith. So they're told to tone down their stories. That's interesting because God has told us in his word that without faith it is impossible to please him. Now consider with me. If God is not pleased 
unless we express faith, then will he not put us in circumstances where we are required to exercise faith? I think he will. I think he loves us that much. I think he loves us so much that he will force us to exercise faith. I believe we encounter certain circumstances where we have to have faith. There's no other choice. And sometimes it can be physical, it can be sickness, it can be disease or whatever, but God wants us to exercise faith and sometimes he has to remove everything from around us where we will look to him and use faith. God knows how to get our attention. Selah. Verse 16, we have many Orthodox Jews who wear these leather little straps. Maybe you've seen them when you've seen an Orthodox Jew. They're little leather straps that go up halfway up their forearm, and they're about 30 inches long. Uh, and they're to remind the Jews that God has purchased them. And then if you've been to maybe New York City or to Israel, you will see these little frontlet boxes that they wear in the headband right in the middle of their forehead, this tiny little leather box. And inside this little leather box is, is scriptures. And these scriptures are written real tiny, but they speak of the redemption of the firstborn that we just read about or eating of unleavened bread. Perhaps it'll even say, talk about, you know, being delivered from and out of Egypt. So God told them to do this, and the Jews took it literally, and they wear these little frontlets and these wristbands. And I suppose that's good. Anything that reminds us to give God honor and credit is a good thing. But then we get into Israel's departure route as they leave uh, Egypt and begin their journey to the promised land. And they do not take a direct route, but they will take a wandering route, a 40-year-long wandering route. And so let's pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 13. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oaths, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth, and they camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. For me, 
the wilderness journey would have been extremely difficult. I go on road trips by car to get there. I do not even like to take bathroom breaks unless it's for me. Have you ever been in a caravan of several cars going to something like a retreat or something? It takes twice the amount of time to get there than if you're driving by yourself. When we sold our ranches in California, I had a desire to buy a motor home and tour America. But Lori had a friend who had a motor home, so we borrowed that motor home and we took it on a trip back here to Alabama. I was never so glad to get back home. And I realized I am not a touring person. I'm a get there person. A direct path for Israel would have been the Via Maris trade route along the coast, and it would have put them in the promised land in about seven to eight days. Now they're going to take 40 years out in the wilderness to get there. And notice they also take Joseph's bones up out of Egypt. Because before Joseph died, he says, don't you leave my bones here in Egypt. You take them with you when you leave. And God has been gracious to Israel. He's going to lead them by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And you think, oh, well, that's nice. But have you ever been outside on a hot, muggy day, say, in Alabama? And a cloud moves across in front of the sun. What a relief it is. A cloud can be a very welcome shadow, a natural shade from the scorching sun. Then at night, out in the desert, to have a pillar of fire for light, but it will also take the chill out of the air. So God is leading his people by a shady cloud and a pillar of fire by night out of his grace to them. He is making this journey as comfortable as can be in the natural setting. And it's a natural act of kindness of God towards Israel. We have two supernatural weather phenomenons, and they appear on the very same day. And these cloud, this cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, they start right away. As soon as Israel is out of Egypt, here comes the cloud and the pillar of fire. And soon, very soon, God will give them manna to eat, or as Psalm calls it, angels food. So God is taking care of his people. Let's look at Exodus 14, uh, the first 14 verses of 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Phihoroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Bel-Sifron, you shall camp before it by the sea. 
For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And this, and they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses, all the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pharaoh before Belshaphon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so that they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us, to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word of, that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than th that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall s see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. It doesn't take Pharaoh long to get over his mourning, his grieving, and then he begins to regret that he has let Israel go. Pharaoh, he's not dumb. He realizes that the great Israeli workforce, the backbone of the Egyptian society, has left. And then we read that God is not through with Pharaoh. God declares, I will receive honor from Pharaoh. And so God again hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And God does this because he wants all of Egypt to know that Yahweh, Lord Supreme, that he is the Lord. Egypt, Egypt, Egypt and Pharaoh, that was a combining of two words there, have set up a government system that glorifies Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not there to serve the people, but the people were there to serve him. And Pharaoh was looked upon as the son of Ra, R-A, or the sun god. Ra being a man-made deity in Egypt, representing the sun, or representing life. The Egyptian considered Pharaoh a direct descendant of Ra. 
Now, when anyone attempts to take on God's status, you cross that line where God will now expose your folly and come against you. Verse 4, God has seen Pharaoh's hard heart. Many times Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but the last few times we've read God now hardens Pharaoh's heart, or he sets his heart in stone. God has determined that all of Egypt will know and understand that he is God, and he alone is God, and no other, not their Pharaoh either. Meanwhile, Pharaoh gathers all his chariots, 600 of them, that's quite an army then, and a, and a chariot in those days was like an army tank of today. And plus there's uh, scores of foot soldiers, and this army of Egypt now pursues Israel, who has just left, and they left Egypt in boldness. You wonder if they were boasting to the Egyptian as they left, you know. <laughs> we're not going to serve you guys anymore. We're out of here. But anyway, in short order, Israel sees the Egyptian army coming, and it scares them greatly. Verse 11. In the beginning of Israel, this is the beginning where Israel, I should say, begins to complain against Moses their leader from God. They voice their many complaints and fears. And they will do this, and they will become known for doing this in the next 40 years. But listen to their concerns. Were there no graves in Egypt? Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? And why have you done this to us, Moses? This is their first week into freedom. <laughs> They're already complaining. Um, they have just left Egypt boldly. They walked out kind of with a attitude. And now they blame Moses, saying, We would have rather lived in Egypt as slaves in bondage than to die as free people in the wilderness. God is beginning to develop Israel into a free nation. And it's going to be very frightening for them to become a free people. So how does that relate to us? The U.S. is a nation with a rich heritage. We have a rich heritage. We still have one of the strongest militaries in the world, if not the strongest. And our military has been a voluntary military ever since Vietnam. And for several generations, we have enjoyed the valiant services of our soldiers, willing to put their life on the line for our freedom. But for Israel, at this point as a nation, they are not willing to fight, much less die for freedom. 
But that has changed in Israel, hasn't it? Right now, this very day, Israel is fighting in the Gaza Strip against the Palestinians. Right as we talk, right now. At the beginning of the Exodus, Israel's attitude is, it is better to live as a slave in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. And any red-blooded American, when we read this, we say that is an attitude of cowardice. They are acting cowardly. But you know, we as Americans, we have been born into freedom and have lived free. And we have our military, we have our army who are willing to fight to the death for us to be free. And I realize this is probably a sermon I should have preached on Memorial Day, but hey, you get it today. But it's a great thing to be free. Verse 13, Moses has a word from God to say to the people, and he says, stand still, or listen up, you wimps. <laughs> Watch and see the salvation of the Lord that he will accomplish for you today. Now that's having faith. God is about to destroy the Egyptian army. And Moses is telling the people, you will never see them again forever. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, so be quiet. Hold your peace. There are times when silence is the best reaction that we can have. I have never regretted being silent. For I have an incurable disease that's called foot in the mouth. And silence is the vaccine for words spoken in haste. <laughs> With Egypt and Pharaoh, we see our loving and merciful God who is intent upon bringing judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt. God is determined to do this. That's part of God. God in his nature is required to judge sin. Pharaoh is a very sinful man. Egypt is a very sinful na nation. They're known for their sin, and God will judge them. So how do we avoid jud God's judgment? Through Jesus. Jesus suffered for us. He took on our judgment, our punishment at the cross. We should always be grateful for the cross of Christ. For we move from judgment into favored status through the work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, help us to understand your nature.
and how you hate sin. And Lord, may it never be that we willfully sin. It's bad enough that we slip up and sin, Lord, but let willful sin be away from us. We don't want to do that, Lord. We don't want to willingly come against you. So help us. And Lord, we've, we do pray, lead us not into temptation. For we know that we have the capacity to commit any and all sins, Lord. So help us not to be sinful. Help us not to have a hard heart like Pharaoh. Help us to recognize you as God, as Yahweh, which the Egyptians refused to recognize you. Lord, we don't want you to come against us like you did against the Egyptians and Pharaoh. We want your favor. We desire your blessings, Lord. We desire to be pleasing to you, Lord. So help us to do that. Help us to be children of yours that have a grateful attitude. We pray for this, Lord. We ask for this. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.